Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the broadcast. As you guys jump in here, as you know, we have no intro anymore, which is so weird because I'm used to sitting here reading the chat, getting ready, but we're jumping straight into it tonight. We have a lot to cover. Do me a huge favor. As you guys jump in the chat, I'll be reading as we go. Please make sure that you like the broadcast. Please make sure that you share the broadcast. Partner with us. Guys, we only survive by your guys' partnership. Oh no, my chat's messed up here. Don't do this to me. There it goes. Okay, it's loading. We only survive by your guys' partnership. We are viewer supported. We haven't been live in 10 days. Hello. So partner with us. You can give. The links to give are down below. We're on episode 149 of Monday Night Fire. Let me know in the chat where you're watching from. Pray for my computer. I've been working on it all day. I've been having issues. So bear with me if there's any technical difficulties. We're getting the computer working. That's what happens with technology. So you can like, you can give, you can share. Tomorrow night we have the Demon Slayer podcast. It's been 10 months since all four of us have been on the podcast, it's just been hard to get everyone lined up. And so tomorrow night on the podcast, live on this channel and all of our channels, we're going to be having that Demon Slayer podcast talking about breaking the spirit of lust. September 2nd, I'll be at Global Vision Bible Church. September 24th, I'll be at Without Walls Church in Mesa, Arizona. And all the links are there. You guys can check those out. Okay, let's start on this. This is going to be a very, very, let's see, a very, very interesting broadcast this is really a warning broadcast this isn't a prophetic alert broadcast because we're going to be talking about the afterlife we're going to be talking about near-death experiences what does the bible say about them we're going to look over some secular ones then we're going to be talking about hell and we're going to be watching some people that have had visions of hell near-death experiences where they've literally died gone to hell and then came back to life and there's a lot of arguing arguing about this in the christian community is it valid For someone to die on an operating table, experience the afterlife, and then come back. And I want to share that with you. But here's the thing I want to start with. There is life after death for every single person. Wherever you're listening from, wherever you're watching from, I'm reading the chat. There is an afterlife. And this is something we don't consider. We don't even consider life after death. The Bible says if you are a believer, you will live even after death. But for the unbeliever, which I'm going to talk about tonight, what happens the moment you die... For the unbeliever, there is a life after death, and that's a life in eternal torment. This is a real place that we don't talk about enough. Hell is a literal location, a real place that people are going to. And I'm going to dispel the myth of purgatory. I'm going to dispel the myth of soul sleep in the Christian faith right now. There's a popular doctrine saying you soul sleep so that when you die, you don't immediately go to heaven or immediately go to hell. You soul sleep, which is false. That is not a biblical doctrine. I'm going to show you that in scripture. So I want you to think about what is the next life going to be like? And is it, is my life here on earth? Am I doing actions based on not just this life, but the afterlife? What is my next life going to be like? Because what you do in this life, friend, please hear me. And I hope that, that you're sober tonight. I hope that this warning is sobering to you. What you do in this life will determine what you do in the next life. Whether you are in heaven with God or you are burning in the lake of fire. And until you get to the lake of fire, being tortured for who knows how long. This is a real reality. According to scripture, most people actually don't go to heaven. The Bible says few actually make it to heaven. Most people go to hell. And we'll talk all about that, what the purpose of hell was and why hell is so terrible. Some of you could say, how could a loving God 
send people to such a terrible place. And the reality is, friend, your default location is hell. That's your default location. You were born in iniquity, in sin. By default, you are going to hell. You are on your way to hell. So it is only by what Christ did on the cross that he builds a barrier between you and hell and says, guess what? You don't have to go to hell. I've made a way where there was no way. Friend, that's something to be excited about. That's something to shout about. When there was no way for you to go to heaven, for you to have peace with God, Christ says, I'm going to make a way where you no longer have to go to hell. This doesn't have to be your default location, but because of what Christ did. So we know that this life is temporary. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says, For we know that the when the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So that means Paul is saying this. I don't just want to focus on the, the heaven portion. We're living in an earthly tent that is going to be destroyed. Some of you are like, praise the Lord. My body is hurting all the time. I can't wait till this body is destroyed and I have a resurrected body. This body is temporary. Your spirit, your soul will be separated at death from this body. Death means separation and you will go somewhere. So this is just an earthly tent. And in the same way, I go camping and I set up a tent. When I'm done camping, I put the tent away. Right now, I'm in a temporary tent. This tent, some of you have a muscular tent. Some of you spend a lot of time at the gym working on your tent. Some of you don't. Regardless of how much time you spent on this tent, this body is only a shell. This body is only a tent where my spirit and soul live in. But one day this tent is going to be destroyed. But here's what Paul says. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So we're living in a earthly tent. Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Look at this. This is Philippians 3.20 will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. So this earthly body is going to be transformed into a heavenly body. Now, it won't be until the rapture and the second coming we get our heavenly body, but if you die right now, you will be with God in heaven and you will eventually be getting a eternal body. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, but right now, just worry about this is temporary. My life is temporary. So that means write this down eternity should be on my mind. I should be thinking about eternity. Let me ask you this week. Have you thought about eternity? Have you thought about the afterlife? Have you thought about where you're going when you die? Have you planned for it? I know we spend all this time planning our elaborate vacations, but we don't spend time planning the afterlife. We don't spend time planning life after death because I have what? If I'm lucky, 50, 60, 70 years, 80 years if I'm lucky. Many of us won't even get 60, 70, 80 years. So I have to be thinking about right now when it matters, where am I going? What am I going to be doing? What rewards will I be earning now? There is an afterlife. I should be thinking about this all the time. This should be on your mind. Eternity is too long to be wrong. You have to understand this. I can't live my life just for the now because the now is passing away. The now is dying. So don't wait till the end of your life. The next life should matter to you. We should think about this. I I constantly am going, man, this life is so temporary. Some of you say life flies. Friend, life is passing you by. You're going to blink and be standing before God. So do I have not just a retirement on earth, but do I have a heavenly retirement? 
Am I doing something now that's going to matter in the next life? So I want to talk about that, but I also want to talk about this idea of near-death experiences because a lot of people, even secular people, have near-death experiences. And what's interesting is, which is a testament to the reality of hell and how real it is, which we'll talk about tonight, even in a secular medical journal, which we're going to read through and review, this is going to be a different live stream. We're going to read this medical journal. We're going to talk about near-death experiences. We're going to do some reaction video of, of testimonies of hell. We're going to teach on hell. It's going to be kind of a mixture of things I've never really done this style before. But I want to talk about this idea of near-death experiences. I can recall two near-death experiences I had. One was I was basically drugged under a tractor almost a mile down the road going really, really fast. The exact mileage was somewhere between 20, 30 miles an hour. A large John Deere tractor getting drugged upside down in a trailer that was broken that my friend didn't know uh, we were under, me and my brother. And I remember having a near-death experience and I don't know what the theology is behind this. I'm not creating a doctrine out of this. I just remember feeling like I was out of my body, watching myself be drugged down the road. And I felt like there was something in that trailer with us. It was a complete miracle we survived. We got out of that trailer, flipped it over. When he got to the house, he realized, flipped it over. And I have a little scar, one scratch on my arm. Should have been dead. Me and my brother both should have been dead. Another near-death experience I had was around 12 years old. Some of you have heard the story where I accidentally hung myself. I was in a large metal barn that was a big chain they used to pull out engines and transmissions, probably a 20-foot high ceiling metal barn. I was joking. I put this metal chain around my neck, was swinging, saying, oh, look, I'm an outlaw. I'm Jesse James. My hands were like this. The, the, the metal chain was not touching my neck. My hands were. My friend who was in the barn left the barn. I'm swinging by myself, and I wake up. I'm up in the air. My hands are to my side, and I'm hanging in the air the chain had spun i'd passed out and i was up in the air 100 should be dead no way to get off of metal chain i felt what i could only describe as the softest hands i've ever felt in my life go into that chain like this and i felt the soft hands open up the metal chain i fell to the ground crawled to the corner of that barn and realized something had just saved my life which was obviously an angel but i really thought about there was a war going on I had these constant near-death experiences growing up where I fell out of a car, almost drowned, got drugged under a thing, almost took my life a couple months before I was saved. All of the, the accidentally hanging myself at 12, all of these moments where I should have been dead, God spared me. So I did have these near-death experiences. In that case, I did have an encounter with an angel, with the spirit of the Lord. I'm not sure what, but I did have that near-death experience. There's many of you in the chat that have had near-death experiences. So let's talk about what is this phenomenon what does the Bible say about it? Is it biblical? And what we can take away from near-death experiences? Before we do, let me talk to you about what a near-death experience is because a bunch of you in the chat have had these near-death experiences. So according to the internet, not just a Christian book or a Bible, this is what a near-death experience is. It's a profound personal experience associated with death or impending death with re which researchers describe as having similar characteristics. When positive, which the great majority they say are positive, which is bizarre to me such experiences may encompass a variety of sensations including detachment from your body feeling like you're levitating total serenity security warmth the experience of absolute dissolution the presence of a light seeing dead relatives when negative these experiences may include sensations of terror anguish distress devastation vast emptiness or seeing a place that is hellish or even seeing the devil. So you have people close to death or dying, and then they have these experiences. Now, a lot of Christians push back and say, there's no such thing as dying, going to hell, then coming back to life. 
There's no such thing as dying, going to heaven, and coming back to life. I would push back and say, if you die on an operating table because of uh, modern science and modern medicine, if you die on an operating table, you're going to go somewhere. Friend, you're going to go somewhere, whether that's heaven or whether that's hell. For the believer, it would be heaven. For the unbeliever, that would be hell. If you die and a doctor after a minute or two revives you, often people come back to their body saying, I saw fire, I saw flames, I saw hell, or maybe I was, I saw heaven, or maybe I had an experience with God. Okay, so not out of the realm of possibility and not anti-biblical. It might be extra biblical, but it's not anti-biblical, so we don't want to just throw away these experiences. Okay, and the website that I got this from says, near-death experiences often occur during reversible clinical death. Explanations for near-death experiences vary from scientific explanations to religious explanations. Neuroscience research hypothesizes that a near-death experience is a subjective phenomenon resulting from disturbed bodily multisensory integration that occurs during a life-threatening event. Some transcendental religious beliefs talk about an afterlife and give descriptions of an afterlife to near-death experiences. In the US, an estimated 9 million people have reported having a near-death experience. According to 2011 study of the New York Academy of Sciences, most of these near-death experiences resulted from serious injury that affects the body or the brain. Oftentimes, people die and say, I saw something. We're also going to talk about visions of hell, dreams of hell, trances of hell. Could God take you out of your body and show you hell? Yes. Could God take you out of your body and show you heaven? Yes. He did it to Paul, and Paul said, I wouldn't even speak about it. But it is possible. God can do these things. And they're not anti-biblical for God to do them. Here's some const- some common traits of near-death experiences. Um, a sense of awareness or knowing you're dead. A sense of peace, painless emotions. A sense of removal from the world. An intense feeling of unconditional love and acceptance. That would be probably if you're in the presence of God. Experiencing euphoric environments. Out-of-body experiences. Being above your body, which is what happened to me in my one of my near-death experiences seeing your body, observing medical professionals working on your body or them resuscitating you, a tunnel experience where you enter a dark tunnel. This is not a Christian website again. Enter a dark tunnel, a sense of moving up through a staircase or passageway, rapid movement towards immersion of a powerful light or a light being, receiving a life overview or a review of your life. Some call this seeing your life flash before your eyes, approaching a border of decision to return to your body often accompanied by reluctancy to return, suddenly finding yourself back in your body, and then a 1975 study where they took 150 patients who all claimed to have out-of-body experiences. They said that there was nine steps to every single one of these people that had these 150 people that either died clinically or had a near-death experience. They said the first thing was they had a sudden peace and release a relief from pain. The second thing was they had a perception of relaxing music or otherworldly music. When they died, they heard otherworldly music. Number three was they had a conscious awareness that their spirit was ascending out of their body. Sometimes they would be able to view the medical professionals that were working on their dead body. Number four, the person's spirit they felt left the earthly realm and ascended into either a tunnel of light going upwards or a tunnel of darkness going down. This is a secular journal I'm, I'm reading and I'm gonna look at here on screen in a second to show you this. Um, but I wanna show you how interesting this is that even secular people recognize they felt darkness, they felt like they're going down. 
Okay, arriving, number five was they arrived at a brilliant, heavenly-like, in quotes, place. Number six is they were met by deceased family members. There was a joyous reunion, and they called these people of the light appear to them, which we would call those angels. So again, these are people that are just giving their experience. They had near-death, they died on an operating table, or they had a near-death experience. Okay, number seven was they felt like they met with a deity that was often perceived in their by religious culture that admit pure love and light. Number eight is in the presence of this deity, they underwent instantaneous life review and got shown all the good and the bad they did, which is plausible because we are going to be judged when we die. So that's not, you know, crazy to think about. Remember, this is not a Christian article. This is 1975, um, 1975 research done on 150 patients. Number nine, the person returned to their earthly body and life either because they were told it was not time to die or they were given an option to return to to their life and to their family. Okay, so that was a secular nine steps of 150 patients. I wanna also show, let me pull this article up. I found, I found this was very interesting in my research. I wanna show here some near-death um, experience in this medical journal that I found talking about the basics of near-death experiences. This is Missouri Medicine, the Journal of the Missouri uh, State Medical Association since 1904. This is a 2014 article. I found it very interesting because it, basically collaborates with a lot of stuff that we would believe, a lot of stuff that we would teach on hell. And it talks about near-death experiences, okay? The great majority of near-death experiences reported publicly over the past 40 years have been described as pleasant, even glorious, almost unnoticed in the euphoria of them being sobering that all, ne but not all near-death experiences are so affirming. Some are deeply disturbing. And then he talks about the variety of near-death experiences, okay? And some near-death experiences, features usually reported in other near-death experiences as pleasurable are perceived as hostile or threatening. A man, these are true stories, a man thrown from his horse found himself floating at treetop height, watching emergency medical technicians working over his body. No, 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 this isn't right, he screamed. Put me back, but they did not hear him. Next, he was, shoot, he was shooting through darkness towards a bright light, flashing past shadowy people who seemed to be deceased family members waiting. He was panic-stricken by this bizarre scenario and his inability to affect what was happening. A woman in childbirth uh, felt her spirit separate from her body and fly into space at tremendous speed, then saw a small ball of light rushing towards her. It became bigger and bigger as it came towards me. I realized that, I that we were on a collision course and it terrified me. I saw the blinding light come out to me and engulf me. These are not, this is not Christian. These are secular people that are writing this. So just li listen how interesting this is. A woman collapsed from hypothermia and began re-experiencing her entire life. I was filled with sadness and I experienced a great deal of depression. Here's another type, the void near-death experience. In a near-death experience of the void is an ontological encounter with a perceived vast emptiness, often a devastating scenario of aloneness, isolation, and sometimes annihilation. Again, this is not Christian, so spit out the seeds. A woman in childbirth, childbirth found herself abruptly flying over the hospital into deep empty space a group of circular entities informed her she never existed that she'd been allowed to imagine her life but it was a joke she was not real she argued with facts about her life and the descriptions of earth no they said none of that had ever been real she was left alone in empty space again weird experiences people have had dying and experiencing what we call these entities telling us would be demons another woman in childbirth birth felt herself floating on water, but at a certain point, it was no longer a peaceful feeling. If I'd be, it had become pure hell. I'd become light. I had become a light out in the heavens and I was screaming, but no sound was going forth. It was worse than any nightmare. I was spinning around and the Bible does talk about being cast. Look, look, look at this. 
This is just, I'm getting this right now on the spot. The Bible does talk about getting cast into outer darkness, right? We get thrown into outer darkness. Look at what she says. I felt like I was a light in the heavens and I was screaming, but no sound was going forth. It was worse than a nightmare. I was spinning around and I realized this was eternity. This was what forever was going to be. She's in this outer darkness, feeling like she's off in space. I felt aloneness, emptiness of space, the vastness of the universe, except for me, a mere ball of light screaming. Whoa, that's chilling. That's chilling coming from a non-Christian. That's crazy. Again, this is not a Christian. This is a medical journal. A woman who attempted suicide felt herself sucked into a void. I was being drawn into this dark abyss or tunnel or void. I was not aware of my body as I know it. I was terrified. I felt terror. I had unexpected nothingness. I expected a big sleep. I expected oblivion. And I found now that I was going to another plane and it frightened me. I wanted nothingness, but this force was pulling me somewhere. I didn't want to go, but I never, I never got beyond the fog. Obviously she came back to life. She had attempted suicide. And at some point they resuscitated her. So you guys see these are near death where they're either died or they're on the verge of death. But what you're seeing here over and over again is some type of hellish experience. Some types, uh, some type of experience of hell. A woman who was attacked by a hitchhiker felt himself rise out of his body. Uh, a man, I'm sorry, who was attacked by a hitchhiker felt himself rise out of his body. I suddenly was surrounded by total blackness, floating in nothing but black space with no up, no down, no left, no right. What seemed like an eternity went by. I fully lived in this misery. I was only allowed to think and reflect. And another person felt like they were in out of darkness here. Now we're going to look at some hellish near-death experiences again, reminding over and over, this is not a Christian article, which is why I'm showing you that even secular people have these hellish experiences of how real hell is. Overtly hellish experiences may be the least common type of distressing near-death experience. NDE stands for near-death experience, if you're just jumping on. A man in heart failure felt himself falling into the depths of the earth, which the Bible does say hell is in the center of the earth. At the bottom was a set of high, rusty gates. Look at this. This is chilling. High, rusty gates, which he perceived as the gates of hell. Panic-stricken, he managed to scramble up back up to daylight. A woman was being escorted through a frighteningly desolate landscape and saw a group of wandering spirits. They looked lost and in pain, but her guide indicated she was not allowed to help them. An atheistic university professor with an intestinal rupture experienced being maliciously pinched and torn apart by malevolent beings. Atheist university professor says he felt like he was being pinched and torn apart by malevolent beings, which are demons. These are bad creatures, bad beings, uh, supernatural beings. That's what a malevolent being is. It's the same as a demon. These are interesting. A woman who hemorrhaged from a ruptured fallopian tube reported a near-death experience involving horrific beings with gray, gelatinous appendages grasping and clawing at me. The sounds of their guttural moaning and the indescribable stench still remain 41 years later. There was no benign being of light, no life video, nothing beautiful or pleasant. So she obviously went to hell as being tortured by these, which is just like what we hear from Bill Weeds, which will, if we have time, we'll go into one of his videos later talking about when he went to hell and the torment that he experienced there. A woman who committed su attempted suicide felt her body sliding down a cold, dark, watery environment. When I reached the bottom, it resembled the entrance to a cave, which looked like webs hanging. I heard cries. Whoo, man, I get chills reading this. Look at this. I heard cries, wails, moans, and the gnashing of teeth. Just like the Bible says. I saw these beings that resembled humans, with the shape of a head and body, but they were ugly and grotesque. This is something that Bill Wee saw. They were 
nasty. They had no symmetry to them. They were nasty, grotesque creatures. They were frightening, and they sounded like they were tormented in agony. Okay, and then it talks about the three types of responses to near-death experiences. The turnaround where you go, ooh, I needed that. Um, the reductionism, which it was only, and then I'm not going to go into all these, the long haul, which is what did I do? And this is a medical journal. talks about seven things to know about them. You guys can look at this. Just search uh, near-death experiences, and you're going to find this article. Now, I want to talk about here, and then we're going to do some reactions to some near-death experiences, some people that died and went to hell and what they saw. And now all the people I'm going to show you are Christians. So I'm not going to be showing you secular people's testimony. I just wanted to read that and show you how serious these near-death experiences can be. And even people that uh, are not Christian were saying they experienced hell and there was a hellish being, demons and stuff like that. Okay, what does the Bible say about near-death experiences? I know what some of you Christians are saying. Isaiah, this is not biblical. Near-death experiences don't exist in the Bible. And the Bible is actually silent on the issue of near-death experiences. Now, millions of people have them, so we can't just say they don't exist. We can't just write people off and say, you did not have that experience. Is it possible for God to show you heaven or hell? Yes. Is it possible, this is my personal belief, to die on an operating table, like some of these people had attempted suicide, they died on an operating table, that an eternal rupture, where you die temporarily and you medically get resuscitated. Yes. So the question we have to ask if you're negative about these experiences is, where do you believe you go if you die? I believe you go somewhere when you die. Now, the Bible doesn't speak, it's basically silent on the issue, but we know according to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says, I know a man in Christ who's talking about himself, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, God knows. And he heard things which cannot be told, which may not be uttered. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except in my weakness. Okay. Paul has this out of body experience, not a near death experience. Let me be clear. I'm not trying to say this was a near death experience. It was clearly an out of body experience, whether it was a vision or a trance. I don't fully know. Paul didn't speak on it. He said, I saw things that can't be uttered. But because Paul said that doesn't mean we can't speak of what we saw in heaven or in hell. Doesn't mean people can't go to hell, be resuscitated and come back. Now, let me be explicitly clear. I need to mention this because I know I'm kind of all over the place tonight, but this is a different type of teaching that I'm doing. I don't believe, please hear me, that once you die and go to hell, there's a way out of hell. I do not believe that. I don't believe you get, you're in hell and all of a sudden you find a way out after a billion years or a million years or 10 years. The only way I believe is if God sovereignly shows you hell, gives you a dream, a vision, a trance, and then is able to take you out because it was only a dream, vision, or trance. The only way I believe you're going to get out of hell is if you die in an operating table, you end up like all of these people in this article going to hell and then the doctor brings you back to life. That is unnatural. For a doctor to be able to bring you back to life is not a natural phenomenon. It's a scientific phenomenon. So I believe if you die and go to hell and then the doctor revives you, that's the only way to come back from hell. But if you die and you're in hell, your body's dead, you're not, you don't get resuscitated, you're not coming out of hell. There's no exits from hell. Many entrances, but no exit. So I do not believe and you can get out of hell after a certain amount of time and go into some purgatory. No. When you die and go to hell, if you don't get resuscitated in these weird experiences or weird exceptions, 
I do not believe there's a way out of, of hell, okay? So the Bible is silent on it. I don't want to use 2 Corinthians chapter 12 as a near-death experience. Some will say um, this was a near-death experience. I don't believe Paul had a near-death experience. I believe that God showed him heaven, which God has the right to do that if he wants. I believe God showed Bill Wee's heaven. Guys, listen, I've had Bill Wee's on the channel. I've spent time with him in person. I'm just going to say this about Bill Wee's. There's no one I've met more humble. There's no one I've met more honest, more kind, and quotes more scripture. I had Bill Wee's preach at my church, talk about his experience where he went to hell in a type of a vision, and he quoted, I counted over 100 verses during his sermon. Over 100 by memory verses. So I do believe Bill Wee's experience, and if we have time, I'm going to show you some of that video here later. But just because the Bible doesn't speak about near-death experiences doesn't mean they're not real. If you say that they can't be real because the Bible doesn't speak about them, that's called an argument from silence, and it's a weak argument. So we want to make sure that just because the Bible's silent on it doesn't mean they're not real. The Bible's silent on a lot of things that are real, a lot of things that are happening just because the Bible doesn't speak. The Bible's not exhaustive. It doesn't have everything, every experience of life, everything. It's not, it's not exhaustive. You can read the Bible in about, I don't know, what is it, 50 hours? 60 hours, something, I think it's around 50 hours average. So if you're like, well, that's not, well, that's not, well, that's not, you're not going to find everything. So we have to make sure it's not anti-biblical. It might be extra biblical, but it's not anti-biblical. So what are some things we should stay away from when it comes to near, near death experiences? We should not create new doctrines because, because of them. We should not obey commands within them that go against scripture. If you have a near death experience, and it changes your life and leads you to God, praise the Lord. But we have to remember, the devil could also give experiences, and we want to be careful that we're not creating new doctrines or new ideas because of a near-death experience. We want to be very, very careful about that, okay? But we know that people have had a recurring near-death experience, and they died and said they, want, they went to hell. And I want to talk about hell, and I want to ask you guys, when's the last time you heard a sermon about hell? Sadly, very few people talk about this place called hell. This is a real place that Jesus preached on more about hell than he did about heaven. And we need to be aware of the dangers of hell. It's a hundred thousand times worse than anyone can describe or talk about in human words. One of the troubles with preaching on hell or talking about hell is it's unfathomable how terrible and terrifying hell is because it's more than what we've ever been able to experience here on this earth. But we got to know that if Jesus warned about it, if Jesus described it, if Jesus said many people are going there, if the Bible says more people are going to hell than heaven, then why would we shy away from this? Why would we not talk about this? Why, why do we have this mindset that I'm believing in it, but I'm not going to warn anybody about this place of hell? Man, I wish someone warned me. When I was a self-proclaimed atheist, I wish someone said, Isaiah, you're on your way, you're going to hell. Why are we not telling people there's a literal place? I believe the Bible says in the center of the earth where people are burning right now, where there's no soul sleep, where there's no rest, where there's no water, where it's complete darkness and isolation, where you can't see your hand in front of you, where you're completely hopeless, where you're down, down there knowing everybody up there is forgotten about you and there's no hope. Bill Wee says the worst thing about hell was the hopelessness, the thought that I'm never coming out of this. I'm never returning. I will be here forever. We know Jesus preached on hell in Matthew 5, in Mark 9, in Matthew 10, 28. He preaches on hell. He tells his disciples, don't fear your persecutors. Fear God. Do not be afraid of those who want to kill the body. Uh, they are unable to kill the soul. 
but fear God who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. So knowing about hell gives you a healthy fear of the Lord. This is a real thing. This is no game or this, and this is no joke. Jesus also condemned the people of Capernaum about their unbelief. Despite all the miracles and healings they saw in Matthew 11, 23, he said, and you Capernaum will not be exalted to heaven. Will you, you'll be brought down to hell for if the miracles that occurred for you happened in Sodom, they would have remained to this day. So they were, the Bible says going to be brought down to hell and Ma Matthew 23, Jesus warns the Pharisees of the danger of hell. He says, how can you escape the sentence of hell in Matthew 23 verse 33? Why? Would Jesus preach on hell more than heaven? Why would Jesus continually give strong warnings of hell? Why did Jesus preach on this if God has no wrath? Because Jesus knew this is what he was saving us from. You will never understand the power of the cross if you don't understand the penalty of what you were saved from. Hell is something that God in his power, in his majesty, saves us from. And so when I realize how terrible hell is, when I realize the danger of hell, then I'm going to understand and really praise God for what he did on the cross. Praise God for everything that he did. Now, what happens the moment an unbeliever dies? If hell's real, we know also heaven is real. We know these near-death experiences, not they can't all be making this up. They can't all be making up that there's a place you go of darkness, of, of beings torturing, all of that. So... I, I was reading a Got Questions article. I want to just share this with you about what happens to an unbeliever the moment that they die. The moment an unbeliever dies, do they soul sleep and wait for the final judgment, wait for the white throne? Do they go into nothingness? Um, this is what the article said, and I love some of the points it makes. Of all the topics found in the pages of scripture, none of them is more dreadful than the subject of hell. Yet we dare not be blinded by ignorance, unbelief, or repulsion because hell is a frightening reality that should not be dismissed on the grounds of fear or unpleasantness. Because it's not pleasant, friend, to talk about hell. Despite the object objections of some, the flames of hell will not be extinguished by clever scripture twisting or wishful thinking. The Bible has much to say about hell, and neither ignorance nor denial will cause the grim reality of hell to go away. We should understand the distinctions made between Sheol and the eternal lake of fire. For the purpose of this article, we will speak of hell as the commonly understood, a place of torment after death. The Bible says that the unrepentant who die are immediately ushered into a dreadful holding, a place called Hades or hell. In the following passage, Jesus details the horrid fate of an unregenerated sinner. Okay, this is hell now, not to be, dis not to be confused by the lake of fire. At the end of the book of Revelation, after the final white throne judgment, false prophet, the beast, the antichrist, the devil, all of that, I believe it's Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 off the top of my head, will get thrown in the lake of fire. And every unbeliever will also be thrown in the lake of fire to burn for all of eternity. That's going to be after the coming of Christ, after the thousand year reign, okay? Right now, there's Hades, or what we'd call hell, not the lake of fire, but hell, where people are being tormented. There is also burning there now, but it's not what the Bible calls the eternal lake of fire. But it doesn't mean there's no hell right now. So soul sleep, again, is not a biblical doctrine. So let's look at Jesus talking about immediately a guy dies and what happens to him. So how do we see this in scripture? Look at this. Luke 16, 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously, uh, sumptuously, that's a weird word, every day. 
At his gate, there was a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores. This is Jesus speaking here. Who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked the poor man's sores. The poor man died. Look at what it says. And was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died. Look at this. This is in Luke 16. And was buried and in Hades. Being in torment, or that word Hades is hell. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. Okay, so we know the man dies, is buried and in Hades. He goes to hell. He doesn't soul sleep. He doesn't pause for a moment. Doesn't say at some point he ends up and he's in a flame. But Abraham said, now I'm not going to go into the theology of this and I don't have time, but there is a scripture that says, when you get thrown into hell, you will first see heaven, the saints, and all of the angels, and then you will be thrown into hell. So there is scripture that says you will see and then get thrown into hell. Okay. And some of you are saying, this is a parable, John, it doesn't matter that it's a parable. This is still the words of Jesus. Just because it's a parable doesn't mean it's not a literal story. And a lot of scholars believe this isn't a parable because every other parable doesn't use real names. This parable uses parable, which I believe this is not a parable. I believe this is a story. Uh, most parables don't use names. They use illustrations. This is literal name. So that's why a lot of historians and scholars believe this was not a parable. This was a story, a literal story Jesus is telling. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime, you received good things and Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that who would pass it uh, who would pass from here to you may not be able. So you can't cross from Hades to the present day temporary heaven. Again, I got to remind you guys, for those that are new, it is a live stream. There's a temporary heaven right now that if you die, you go to the temporary heaven with God, Jesus. But there will be in the book of Revelation, I have a whole teaching on this, a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible says the old heaven and the old earth will pass away. So this will be a new heaven and new earth. So right now, remember, there's a temporary hell, Hades, and then there will be an eternal lake of fire. There's also a temporary, for the lack of a better term, heaven right now that if you die, you go to. And then there will one day be a new heaven and a new earth. If you don't believe that, go read the book of Revelation. Okay. He says, but there's a great chasm. So you can't go back and forth. None may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you. So this is the guy in hell. I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, and warn them so they don't come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said, if they, don't, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will be convinced if someone rises from the dead. So this man dies, buried, he's in hell. He's, in, he's immediately in hell. This other man is in heaven. Abraham says there's a chasm. You can't go from heaven to hell and you can't go from hell to heaven. It's impossible. This is that temporary, right? And the guy says, look, if you send my brother back, I know he's in heaven. I'm sorry, not my brother. If you send this man back, Lazarus back, then you will, uh, then he'll come and preach and my brothers will believe him. This poor man named Lazarus. My brothers will believe him. And then Abraham says, no, listen. He could hear Moses and the prophets. He's not, if he doesn't believe them who are, 
speaking, who testify, the, the prophets that are on the earth now preaching, then he's not going to believe a man that's come back from the dead. So Hades, now let me continue in this article. That was my side uh, commentary. Hades, which is called hell in the King James, is described as a place of torment and anguish. The rich man goes immediately upon his death. Scripture teaches that all who die in their sin will immediately go to, to Hades or hell, where they remain conscious of their misery and their despair until summoned before God at the white throne judgment. So yes, all those summoned that are in hell will be summoned for the great white throne judgment. After that, they will be thrown in the eternal lake of fire. But it's so, uh, I won't go into it now. I'll tell you in a second. Those who rejected God's mercy will face his wrath and eventually be judged and cast in a lake of fire. And I'm going to show you that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Look at what it says. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne. Books were open. Another book was open, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. Not just one book, books according to what they had done. In verse 13 of Revelation 20. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades, look at this. This is compelling. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each according to what they had done. So what the writer, uh, what John is saying here is those that were in death and Hades, they were given up now to the white throne judgment. So the, the hell right now, hell right now was emptied out stand before the great white throne, and then they were cast in a lake of fire. And then look at verse 16. Death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, they were thrown into the lake of fire. Why is, and I have an exhaustive teaching on this on my verse by verse, go to my playlist, the book of Revelation. Death and Hades are thrown in the lake of fire. They are no more. So the current hell, look at this. Everybody gets emptied out, brought before the white throne judgment. Everybody in that white throne judgment gets thrown in the lake of fire. And death and Hades get also thrown in the lake of fire. So the current hell right now where people are at, burning, being tortured, will be also thrown in the lake of fire with the devil, with the antichrist, with the false prophet, with the beast, all of them will also be there tormented day and night forever and ever at the white throne judgment after the thousand year reign. This is going to happen. This is no joke, no game. So the lake of fire, not to be confused by hell, is a place of eternal punishment. Was not intended for man. God ordained the lake of fire as the final stop for Satan and his army of fallen angels. Remember, the lake of fire is not the devil's where he lives. It's his destination, not his address. The current hell. The devil's not in hell right now. Okay, the devil's on the earth. He's the ruler of this world, the Bible says. Stop believing the lie. The devil's not in hell. Matthew 25, 41 says, Then he'll say on his left, Depart from me, you curse, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 2 Peter 2, 4, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, that's the current hell right now, it's not complicated, committed them to chains of gloomy darkness who will be kept until judgment. So the angels that rebelled, we're cast in chains into hell right now. So you're saying, how are people in hell right now getting tortured? Well, there's a bunch of fallen angels that rebel that are in chains torturing people in hell right now. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown in the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they were tormented day and night forever and ever. And then this is what the article says. 
Regrettably, legions of unrepented people by their own will will spend eternity with Satan and his demons who joined his unholy rebellion. The poet Milton described that damned as those who prefer ruling in hell over serving in heaven. Indeed, those who choose hell are rebels to the very end. So in choosing right now to serve Satan, in choosing to serve darkness, that's where you're going. Now, don't say, how could a loving God send me to hell? Why would a loving God send you somewhere you don't want to go? You don't like God. You mock God. You're in the chat. I hate God. F God. God isn't real. I'm an atheist. I don't believe there is a God. Okay. Okay. So why do you think God's going to send you to spend forever with him when you hate him? Why would a loving God do that? Force you to be with him forever? No, you, you will go to hell because that's ultimately where you want to go. God does not delight in the suffering of man, according to Ezekiel 33, 11, but hell is a real place that the, that the lost go. So upon death, those that are unbelievers immediately are sent to hell, which is where they chose, where they will remain in judgment until the close of the millennial kingdom. And at that time, they will be consigned to the lake of fire with Satan and all his demonic forces. And they will remain there forever in this fixed state of being. There will be no no recovery, no return. Right now, there's a temporary hell, Hades, where there are demons chained. There is torment and torture, but eventually they'll be into the lake of fire. Now, some of you might say, uh, is there soul sleep? Is there? No, absolutely not. The Bible makes it clear. The Bible doesn't say later. The Bible doesn't say, you know, one day, immediately, right now, you go to hell. That's what the Bible teaches. I don't know why. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses teach that you don't immediately go to hell. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Catholics teach there's a purgatory. That's false doctrine. That's We don't teach soul sleep like the Jehovah's Witness. We don't teach you know purgatory like the Catholics. When an unbeliever dies, they go to hell. Now, what if a believer dies? Let's do this quickly here. When a believer dies, they are immediately in the presence of God. Luke 23, 39. Look at this. One of the criminals who were, who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of, uh, of condemnation? And we indeed justly were receiving the due reward of our deeds. This man, and this is t- speaking of Jesus on the cross, has done nothing wrong. And he said this, this is what the thief on the cross said. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Very clear. Guys, how much clearer do you want it? Like, well, I don't know. I think we have to go through soul sleep until the resurrection of the dead. No. Now you will get your resurrected body when you go to the new heaven and the new earth. You will get a resurrected body. That is true. But there is no soul sleep. It's so clear. He didn't say, Jesus didn't say, well, after a little while of purgatory, once your family gives enough, once you say enough Hail Marys, once you say enough prayers. No. Jesus didn't say, after you soul sleep and after the second coming and after the resurrection of the dead. No, he said, this very day, you'll be with me in paradise. Look at what 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8 says. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. He said, well, when we're in this body right now, I'm away from the Lord while I'm in this body. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. One translation says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So once I leave this body, I'm now present with God immediately. 
I'm now there will be a judgment seat of Christ. That's not a judgment on salvation. That's a judgment on rewards. I'm going to have a judgment, but the judgment's not going to be God saying, were you saved or not? The judgment's going to be, what rewards will I have for eternity? Because Paul says some will be barely saved, barely escaping the flames with little reward or no reward. They'll have nothing but a pile of ashes, really. So there will be a judgment, but it's not a judgment of salvation. If your name is in the Lamb's book of life, you will go to heaven. If your name is not found, you will go to hell. At the great white throne judgment, when the books are opened, you will receive a reward. And if your name is in the book of, you will go to heaven. There will be a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, and a new earth. And if not, you'll be cast in a lake of fire for a trillion times a trillion years. Guys, our brain can't fathom this. Our brain is so finite. Think about forever. Like right now, we all know we're going to die. We all, it's built into our DNA that our life is temporary. Try thinking about forever. Like your brain just resets forever, not a month, not a, a year, not 70 years, a hundred billion years, a hundred billion years burning in the lake of fire, a hundred billion years. And it's like day one of torment. You've been burning for a trillion years. Just think about, let's, let's go a billion, okay? You're tormented for a billion years in the lake of fire. And it's just day one. It's just day one. You just got here. Another billion years goes by. Mind you, a lot of us are young. I'm 32, so I can't even process a billion years. I can't even process a thousand years. My brain can't process 200 years. A billion? A thousand? 10,000? A hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, a million, a hundred million, five hundred million, a billion, two billion, ten billion, a trillion. And it's like I just got here and I'm being tormented. No escape, complete hopelessness. That's where the unbeliever is headed. For the believer, a billion years with God, a trillion years with God in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven, the new earth. Who knows what we're going to do? New bodies. And a trillion years go by and I'm with God. And a trillion years go by and it's like day one in heaven. Forever. See, that's, that, that's why Paul says like, I want to die. I want to be with God. But for your sake, I'm still here. Because it's, it's, a, it's a terrifying thing. That's why judgment day will be a great and terrible day. But also for the unbeliever, it's absolutely terrifying. This is why we need to warn our families. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, brother, um, isn't this a scare tactic? Well, let's look at what Colossians 1.28 says. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.11, Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's referring to the judgment seat of Christ. Paul's saying, listen, hell is severe. There's a judgment. So if preaching hell is just a scare tactic, Jesus is the one that did it. There's a real place and a real. Now, the reason why it's so terrible is hell is created by, was not created for humans. It was created for Satan and his angels. How bad should God create hell? Now, imagine if God says, okay, I'm going to make a place that's not for humans. This is going to be a place just for the devil and his angels. And I'm going to make it as terrible as possible for the devil and his angels deserve that. That's hell, friend. Not designed for humans. When God's designing hell... The terror, he's not designing it for humans. We know this because Matthew 25, 41 says, 
that hell eternal fire has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Second Peter chapter two, verse four says, God didn't spare the angels when they sin, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness held for judgment. Ezekiel 28. We know that Satan was cast down from the holy mountain because pride was found in his heart. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. That's why it's so terrible, but people choose to go there because they mock, they hate, and they deny the existence of God. You also will have a body in hell. We know that because the man in hell in the parable we read earlier had a tongue, had eyes, had a mouth, begged for water to be dipped on his finger because he was being tormented in flames. There will also be weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell. We know that Luke 13, 28 says in that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets of the, oh, this is what I want to show you. Look at this. Luke 13, 28. In that place, this is the fate of sinners. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out. Don't know when this happens, but Jesus is saying there's a moment where you will see everybody that's in heaven. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets, but then you get thrown out. You get a glimpse of it, but then you're thrown out. Matthew 13, 41. The son of man will send out his angels. And they'll weed out of his kingdom every cause of sin and all who practice lawlessness. And they will throw them into the fiery furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's Matthew 13, 41. The last verse, yes, JC, was Luke 13, 28. Complete isolation. Hell is eternal. There is no exits. There's no escaping. Once you go down there, you don't come back. 100 million years will go by in hell and it'll be like the first minute you arrive. There's no end to it. Hopelessness, despair, suffering, no reputation, no title. It doesn't matter if you're rich or opulent here. There's no title. There's no coming back from it. It's complete isolation and hopelessness that you're going to experience in hell. Fully conscious of your life here on earth. Not being, being a good person is not enough when you go to hell. It's real. Let, let's look at a couple. Do we have time? There's 2,500 of you. We, I want to look at a couple here, if you don't mind, of experiences of people that went to hell. Just if just some time here. We're going to watch this and look at this. Um, let me fix my screen here to set this up. Let's look at this. Some of you may have seen some of these, but let me know in the chat if we have time. Let me turn off the browser, turn on the YouTube. Please work because I never do this live. Okay. This lady I want to show you died of an overdose. She died of a heroin overdose and went to hell. Let's just watch a little bit back, of her experience. Back in March Not the whole thing, just a little bit. And I was with who I thought was... That was my friend. It was drug buddy. Uh, she was she was a very bad heroin addict, and I, I was just dabbling into it. And she uh, she gave me a, a shot. She's not arm. a believer at the time. Look at this. It was that night when I like realized the um, just how heavy I was, just how deep I was, just um, what a, how dark. What a dark place it was that I was in, and it wasn't until I was being I after she did it that all of a sudden I was woken up with water splashing on my face. I had I guess apparently I was on the on the kitchen floor. I, I woke up with her with her throwing water on me, and after the you know she was slapping me, and I woke up and I just remember her like, "You're blue, blue, blue," you know, and I was like oh my gosh you know and she's like you have to get out of here get out of here and so i said 
I said, I need an ambulance. No, you got to get out of here. So her and a friend tried to, to drag me down the street. And I said, I won't go. And I was trying to fight until you call an ambulance. I won't go. And then I made sure that someone was on the phone with the ambulance. And then as they dragged my body down the worst street in Springfield, Missouri, they dumped my body like I was a bag of trash. Then they stripped me of everything that they wanted off of my body. It was crazy. And I said, Jesus, help me. And then all of a sudden, like, I closed my eyes. And it was like, the dark, like, all of a sudden, I closed my eyes. All of a sudden, my eyes got, like, really dark. It's just, like, blacker than anything we've ever seen on Earth. All of a sudden, I felt like I was just falling. And I, I felt a little, I felt like a little bit of a chill. Like a little bit of chill and i don't i and i was falling i felt so fearful it was so black you couldn't see your hand in front of your face i am feeling it more i'm feeling more more no more scared than i've ever felt in my life i just started falling and falling and falling into like darkness as it as it started to get hotter and hotter and hotter and then all of a sudden like it was like i landed like a quicksand all of a sudden my eyes, I felt like my eyes like start adjusting like when you're when you're trying to wake up. Except Ugh. reality felt more real than I've ever ever felt in my life. So the first thing I did was I looked up. And when I looked up, I thought I was looking at a sky. But it was pure pure darkness. Pure black. It literally, it literally hurt your senses. It felt like fiery darts, like literally coming in my eyes, fiery darts hitting all my senses, all my pores, every fiber of my being. Like it literally hurt so bad just looking in the darkness. And I was, when I landed, I started looking and I, and I was like, realized I was like in like a pit, like a cave. And it was like, this cave was just fear. That fear instantly was like, no fear I've ever felt before. It was like, there was no presence of God there. My whole life, I, I used to struggle with anxiety and panic attacks. The worst panic attack that I've ever had on earth, I would times it by a billion and it's constant. Wow. It's constant, it's constant, constant. The fear is constant. The hopelessness, the hopelessness, the feeling of, oh my gosh, you just, you know, you're Ugh. never, ever, 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 ever going to get out. You are stuck. Like you are never going to get out. When I started focusing on where I was and I felt like I was about two football fields away and I still felt like an ant to when I looked up and I saw black gates, which looked like they had been like on fire so they were like a charcoal and they were so oh the evil oh the evil it's so hard to talk about talking about this experience is really hard whenever because I've, I've, I've struggled with ptsd from it and this is why i'm really speaking about it now and i'm really trying to keep it together it's really hard to explain it because you you, you don't realize just how how, how how torturous it I mean you just it's just torture and not having the presence of God you know we have the presence of even if you don't have God in your life 
you know, even if you don't even believe in God, at least we have him on earth, you know, when it's such so different when you're, when you're, you know, there, it was, it looked like it was just so big and it was decrepit and, and like each, each end, like it would go like that. And each end would have spikes. It was like, I didn't have to move my head to look. My soul was so much more sensitive because we now, you know, the, the human canvas is, you know, what's covering our soul. And the thing is, is when I was down there, my soul felt so much more sensitive. And it was from there that um, I looked through, it was like I could, I didn't walk towards the gates. It was, but I could see through the gates. It was like a lake, it was like a lake of fire, but it was like a, it was like a big pit a big, huge pit of, of love like fire. However, it was like, I couldn't see the flames. I just saw the shimmering light because the shimmering light looked as if like the pit was so deep that you, you couldn't see the flames. It was just, I had no idea how, how deep the, how deep it would be. Even if you don't even believe in God, your soul will know. Your, your soul will know that you're, you're in hell. And I, I was, in hell. It was then I started looking, I started looking down because I, I was stuck. I, I was thought, I felt like I was in quicksand. So I started looking around and I, I started noticing like, it was like waves of like, uh, like clay. It was like pink, like a salmon colored clay. I felt like I was in like the core of the earth or something because I felt like I, a lot there was of just absolutely like no way you could get out. And it's, it's on top of the fear, on top of the hopelessness, on top of feeling alone, on top of feeling stuck, my mind all of a sudden started replaying. I started replaying my life. I replaying every sin that I oh. have done. You relive it constantly and it's so loud. You relive the feelings, your feelings. And the one that stuck in my mind the most was my mama. <laughs> That's why I call her my mom. She's my mama. And I could, my mama is, a, she's a prayer warrior. And uh, she's been praying for me all these years to get out of this lifestyle and to get out away from drugs. And it was like, when I was in hell, I could hear her, oh, Lisa, I wish you would listen and just come oh. back to Jesus. And that's when all of a sudden, I said, I wish I would have listened. And all of a sudden my body set on fire, my soul set on fire. And um, when my soul set on fire, it was so, much hotter because I used to have I used to have problems like cutting and burning myself because I hate myself. I know like I know burns and stuff and there is nothing like your soul being on fire. It hurts so bad like you're just it's it's not you can't even explain it. You can't even explain it. There is no way to explain the torture. Like I could hear myself screaming in my head. Oh, the thoughts were like like if you put some headphones on or whatever in your in your in your ears and you were to like scream as loud as you can, it's like a billion times louder than that is what your thoughts. You're 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 alone in your thoughts. You're alone in your sins. It's replaying over and over on top of fear, on top of hopelessness, on top of fire hotter than you can ever imagine. I don't. I wouldn't wish hell on my worst enemy. And that's what I'm trying. That's the whole reason why I'm trying to tell this the world. <laughs> Wow. It's because there is no truly hell. And it's so horrible. And I don't want anyone to go if you don't believe in God. Oh, please ask Jesus into your heart and save you. If you do know God, 
Oh, repent right now, ask for forgiveness. You never know when you're gonna die. You never know when Jesus is gonna come. You never know. And it was then that it got hotter and hotter and hotter. And I, I like my teeth were just gnashing. They were gnashing and I could feel like my teeth just breaking oh. over and over. And your, your jaw's locked and you're screaming in your mind. There's no water. There's no water. You're, you feel, you feel as if your mouth is dry or your soul's dry. Your soul's so dry. If only I just had a drop of water. If only I just have a drop of water on my tongue, I would feel some kind of relief. It was then that all of a sudden the, scre the screaming continued. There's just constant crying, constant misery. You think about the time you cry, like the worst pain you've ever felt in your heart, like, like emotional pain. You're crying and heaving a billion times worse. When I say a billion times worse, I really mean it's a billion times worse than any negative thing. Every negative thing you've ever felt in your whole life, you will feel it, feel in hell and you will feel it a billion times, and you will feel it forever, and ever, and ever, and ever, never. As I was screaming, as I was gnashing my teeth, as I was wishing, you know, the fear, the hope, hopelessness, everything, all of a sudden, I was just like, Jesus, 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 help me, Jesus. Jesus, save me. As I cried out to Jesus, immediately I was ripped from those flames and all of a sudden I was in an ambulance, like still felt on fire. And I was screaming in the ambulance. So they obviously brought her I back looked, to life. And I saw a, a, a paramedic. Didn't really know where I was at or what was going on. I was very confused. But I saw the kindness in her eyes and realized all of a sudden like, wait a minute. I'm not in hell anymore. <laughs> she was like, you, she was like, you're not on fire. She was like, you're not, you're not on fire. And she was like, you're okay, honey. And I was like, please, please, please. I don't want to go back there. Jesus, please don't let me go back there. Jesus, please forgive me of all my sins. Jesus, I don't want to go back there. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The look on her face, if, if I could have like, if I could really like, it was like a, like the, her eyes are really big and it was kind of like, she's just staring at me like, <laughs> Like, I don't know if she's ever seen anything like that before, but the reason, the reason why, you know, I've got to tell you the reason why I am speaking about my testimony is because I am a living, walking, breathing testimony of God's amazing grace, redemption. He has delivered me, um, completely of drugs and alcohol for over two years now. After this happened in 2017, I was like, never did heroin again. But it was, I was still shedding off one by one the drugs because I had- So her testimony, I have it on my channel, woman dies and goes to hell. This is what she saw. She actually reached out and emailed me not long ago. She follows the stuff. She's still serving God, spirit filled, doing deliverance, all of that awesome testimony that would be considered like a near-death experience where she literally died and then came back to life now let's look at this one we're going to do this one quickly for a few minutes this one is steve king who is a practicing buddhist who cut his throat and ended up going to hell look at this friends who were it was a deal watch a few home. minutes so of we're this having one. like huge jasper bags of drugs going in and out we're transporting it we're carrying it we're selling it we're smoking it three times a day Now, school reopens in the fall, and I'm trying to readjust to life, but I can't because I'm so drugged out. 
We're gonna go so quick. Another guy came and we smoked that again, but this is where it gets kind of crazy. But I smoke what's called a death bowl. A death bowl is the street name for heroin, cocaine, PCP. It looks like marijuana, but it's laced. So when I smoked this drug, I stayed up for 10 straight days. After the third day of staying up, you lose sight of date, time, who you are, why you're alive. On the last day, I actually had an encounter with, I believe, a Satan now, but he came to me in an open eye vision. He just looked like an Asian grandpa and said, I know you're having a hard time. And I said, yeah, I thought it was my Buddhist God. So when he came to me, he said, it's time for you to take your own life, cut oh. your neck, cut your stomach, and I'll spare you from hell. And I didn't know Jesus back then, so that's exactly what I did. I went to the kitchen with my mom in the house, and I grabbed the biggest knife I could find, and I cut my neck open and also my stomach open you know which huge scar and I lost 90% of my blood my mom walks into the living room and she sees her son almost dying she calls 911 and the cops come over to try to get the knife away from me and they came within like one minute right I was wrestling with them they took the knife away they maced me whacked me with the bat and we're struggling and that's when I fainted after being whacked, whacked, whacked by the bat. And pretty soon I'm going in and out and, and I'm in the hospital. And at the hospital, um, that's when I had the, the OBE. I literally, you know, lost consciousness before the surgery. And I see myself, but I'm not going to heaven like the false god Satan in coming as an old grandpa said. I'm sinking and it feels like an elevator just falling down. And after five minutes of just this horrific feeling of being abandoned and fear multiplied by a hundred by anything you can feel on earth, I land and I look around and it's hell. How do I know it's hell? Because first of all, I never had this thought before, but when I got there during this out-of-body experience, I look around and there was just so many countless people. I wasn't the only one there. Demons are ceiling high they're everywhere i feel pain and i knew i was a sinner and i will never leave this place i don't know where the idea came from i just supernaturally knew instinctively knew and that's when i realized like i made a big mistake i woke up the next day and they told me i was out for 12 hours but it was a five minute visit to hell and i knew i didn't want to be there because it's like hopelessness despair loneliness pain when i came out of it i was like you know in just very traumatized for the next three months. That's how painful it was. Jesus talks about a place of torment where there is no quenching of fire. So this man I've talked to as well, serving the Lord, another near-death experience where he dies and ends up going to a place called hell and then shares a story. And he was a Buddhist at the time. Now he's a Christian. He ministers, shares all that. Let's watch one more here. This is the usual about the night. This one of the best. Um, I had never studied the topic topic of hell at that point. I had never gone to dark movies. I've never drank. I've never taken drugs, and I never had a vision before. This was a we came home, out of home like any other normal night. I got up at three o'clock in the morning just to get a glass of water. I was walking to our kitchen, and right in about the living room, something grabbed me and pulled me out of my body, like being drawn up out of your body. And I found myself falling through the air down this long tunnel, and I was getting hotter and hotter and I landed on a stone floor in a prison cell in hell I was fully awake and cognizant just like I'm standing here now I had no idea how I got there or why I was there a filthy stinking smoke filled but like a dungeon but see Isaiah 24 22 says and they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison Proverbs 7 27 mentions going down to hell to the chambers of death the word chambers means inner rooms. 
Job 17, 16 says, they shall go down to the bars of the pit. Jonah 2, 6, the earth with her bars was about me forever. And the Tyndale, the New International, many other commentaries point out that Jonah was at the gates of hell and that it was literal bars and gates. Well, that's why I first found myself. And the first thing I noticed was the intense heat. It was so far beyond the ability to sustain life. I wondered, how could it be alive in this place? Mm. And uh, I, w I wanted to get up and run. That was my first reaction. But I noticed I had no physical strength in my body. It took so much effort to move. But see, Isaiah 14, 9 and 10 says, Hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. They will say, Art thou become weak as we? And Psalms 88, 4 says, I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that has no strength. Now, if you ever had the flu and you felt weak, a thousand times worse. His Any movement takes tremendous effort. But see, Acts 17, 28 Must says, In him we live and move and have our being. Movement isn't automatic. It's from God. I looked up in this cell and I saw these two enormous beasts. Listen to this. Creatures pacing like a vicious caged animal. And these particular two are about 12 or 13 feet tall. It's not an exaggeration. I could give you scripture for that too, but I got to keep moving. And um, they were reptilish in appearance, bumps and scales all over the one's body, uh, huge jaw, sunken in eyes, claws about a foot long. And um, they were uh, pacing like the most vicious animal. And the one of them picked me up like I weighed the weight of a, like this bottle, threw me into the wall of this prison cell. I hit the wall. I felt as if every bone in my body had broken. Now, a spirit maybe doesn't have bones, but it felt that way. I collapsed on the floor wondering, how could it be alive through this? But I have to explain one thing. I understood that I did not feel most of the pain. I had the understanding that it was being blocked. And I didn't understand, but on the way back, the Lord explained to me that he blocked most of the pain, but he did allow me to feel a small amount of it so I could relate to people. It's not metaphorical. It's not a state of the mind. It's real literal pain you're going to feel wow. in hell. But the amount I felt was enough. The other demon grabbed me, picked me up, and dug its claws into my chest and just tore the flesh open. Again, how, how could I be alive through this? I should be dead. I noticed I had a body. Matthew 10, 28 says, Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And remember Luke 16, the rich man Jesus talked about in hell. He wanted a drop of water to cool his tongue. He had a mouth to speak. He had eyes to lip. He had a tongue. So you have some kind of a body in hell, but it withstands these torments. But something else I noticed, there was no blood or water coming from the wounds. It was just all dry. But see, Leviticus 17, 11 says, The life of the flesh is in the blood. Well, there's no life in hell, so there's no blood. And Zechariah 9, 11 says, Thy prisoners out of the pit where there is no water. There's not one drop of water in hell. And these demons have no mercy over you whatsoever. They hate you. And, but see, Psalms 103, 17 says, The mercy of the Lord is upon those that fear him. Well, they don't fear him in hell. So you don't derive that benefit. And um, about this time, it went dark. Now, I believed it was God's presence there to illuminate it so I could see to describe to people what it looks like. But then he withdrew his light and hell resumed its normal state of absolute pitch black darkness. But Lamentations 3, 6 says, He has set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. Jude 13 mentions blackness of darkness forever. But it wasn't just dark. You could actually feel it. And that's not an exaggeration. Exodus 10, 21 mentions a darkness that may be felt. 
Uh, it's so wicked and evil that the darkness just seems to penetrate through every oh. cell in your body. I was taken out of this prison cell and I was placed over next to this large raging pit of fire. This pit was about a mile across, like a huge hole in the ground, about a mile across, deep hole. I, I don't know how I knew it was a mile. I just understood that it was. I can't explain that. But there, this was filled with fire, flames raging high up into this open cavern. And, um, you know, so it's not metaphorical fire like some say. It's real, literal flames. I felt the heat. I saw the fire. But more importantly, it's what the scripture says. Psalms 11, 6 says, Upon the wicked he will rain fire and brimstone in a horrible tempest. Psalms 140, verse 10, Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits. Matthew 13, 49, the angels to sever the wicked from the just and cast the wicked into a furnace of fire. Isaiah 33, 12 says, the people shall be as the burnings of lime. They shall be as thorns cut up and thrown into the fire and burned. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Many more verses about fire. But this is where I could first see people. I could see through the flames. And it's the most awful sight to see a person on fire. Most of us have never seen that. But to see someone burning. Now, I could not distinguish a man from a woman. They just look like skeletons. And it appeared to me like flesh hanging off their bones. I, it was the most horrible sight. And the screams coming from the people was so loud and deafening. You want to get away from the screams, but you can't. But Isaiah 57, 21 says, There is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. There's no peace of mind of any kind. But see, Isaiah 32, 18 says, my people dwell in a quiet resting place. You're not God's people. She don't ever get to enjoy quiet. You hear, hear these horrible screams forever. Uh, I understood I was down deep in the earth. I descended to get there. I ascended when I left. Uh, but I understood that's where I was at. But more importantly, there's 49 scriptures that point out where the current hell or Hades is. I'll just give you two addresses. Ezekiel 26, 20, number 16, 32, and 33. Very clear it's down deep in the earth. I also understood there were different levels of torment and degrees of punishment. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 14, you shall receive the greater damnation. That infers a lesser damnation. Or Matthew 10, 15, he said, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. That infers a less tolerable. Or Hebrews 10, 28 says, of how much worse of a punishment Suppose it shall be for you, you who have trodden underfoot the Son of God. There's a worse punishment. But my point is there is no tolerable, comfortable level in hell. Any level is far worse than your mind can even conceive. I wanted to uh, let my wife know where I was at. I just wanted to say goodbye. But oh, I understood terrible. I'll never get that opportunity. See, Job 7.9 says, He that goes down to Sheol shall come up no more. Sheol is the Hebrew word for the current hell. Hades is a Greek word. But I had that understanding. I'll never get out. And see, you don't know what that's... Well, you can't imagine what that's like to have no finality with your family. That you can't say goodbye. You, you can never tell them where you're at. See, death does not mean cease to exist. Death means separation from God. You cease to... You still exist down deep in the earth. And to never see her again, to not let her know where I'm at and say goodbye, that thought alone was really tormenting to endure that you have to endure for all eternity. I mean, you'll never see any of your family. You'll never hug your kids again. Nothing. That's gone. Thing of the past. I wanted to talk to a person, just anybody, 
because there's pleasure, right, in being with people. Even if you don't know them, it's pleasure to be with a person. But see, those people I saw in the pit, they're all kept at a distance. So you have no conversation. You're isolated. You're by yourself in hell for all eternity. Oh. You'll never have another conversation with anybody. And you have no purpose, no destiny. It's just a complete useless wasting away. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, There is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in Sheol. And it doesn't matter if you're somebody famous here. No one would know who you are there. You have no identity. Ecclesiastes 6.4 says, Your name is covered in darkness. And you're forgotten in hell. Psalms 88.12, Isaiah 26.14, Deuteronomy 32.26. All these point out that you're completely forgotten. You know, that's an awful thing. That, that nobody up on the earth has given you a thought. You know, most people don't realize that most people are down in hell. You know, if you go to a funeral today, no matter what the religion, they usually say, well, they've gone to a better place. But that's not true. Jesus said in Matthew 7, many are going to hell and few are going to heaven. The stench in hell is the most foul, putrid, disgusting odors, worse than any open sewer, anything you can imagine. But remember, Jesus rebuked the foul spirits, Mark 9, 25. Demons have a disgusting foul odor to them, uh, death, decay, and also flesh, people burning. That is a disgusting odor also. And on top of that, you know, the smell of burning sulfur. Now, if you go to Hawaii to the volcano, they have signs posted where you cannot go past a certain point because the toxicity of the sulfur coming up, it's called sulfur dioxide. And if you breathe it, it will kill you. It's toxic. Well, sulfur is just another word for brimstone. And the word brimstone is all through the Bible. So you're breathing in this foul, putrid, disgusting air that you don't want to breathe. And it's, I mean, it uh, would make you vomit. And, but it's even worse than that because there's not enough air to breathe in hell. You can't take a nice deep breath. You don't get to do that in hell. There's not enough oxygen. So maybe only an asthma patient can relate to this or a fireman. Uh, this is how you breathe in hell. It was like... Terrible. That was as much air as you could get. Well, it's not enough. You have the feeling of suffocation. And that's going on for all eternity. But see, Isaiah 42.5 says, The Lord gives breath to the people upon the earth. You're not upon the earth. You're down deep beneath the earth. God's very specific with His Word. You need to sleep in hell. You never get to go to sleep. Now, if you've ever stayed up for two nights like studying for a test or something. Just try to stay up and don't go to sleep for two nights. You can't even function after two days. You're a wreck. Well, in hell, you need to sleep also, but you never get to go to sleep. Revelation 14, 10 and 11 says, uh, and they shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the Lamb and in the presence of the holy angels. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. Now that primarily means no rest from the torment but no rest of any kind. Because Isaiah 57, 20 said, the wicked are like the troubled sea that cannot rest. You know, the, you know, the sea is always moving, cannot rest. You can't rest in hell. You never get to go to sleep. So you have that feeling ongoing and it gets progressively worse every day. But see, Psalms 127, 2 uh, says, the Lord gives his beloved sleep. Again, you're not his beloved. You don't get to enjoy that benefit of sleep. I was standing next to this big pit of fire. Now, I have to explain, a pit a mile across here on the earth would produce a lot of light, right? A filled with fire, that would produce light. But in hell, it doesn't. It is so dark, it consumes the light. It doesn't let the light escape. 
but I could just see through the flames and along the edges. And uh, along the edges um, were individual pits of fire that some people were in their own individual pit. Others were in this big pit. Some were in prison cells. And along, I noticed I was standing beneath a cavern, cavern walls that were ascending up, were like a tunnel going up. And all along the cavern walls were demons, all different sizes and shapes, twisted, deformed, and grotesque, all of them. And some were only two and three feet tall, some were 12 and 13 feet tall. Uh, there were spiders, demons that looked like spiders, but some of them were three and four feet across. I can't give you scripture for that, but I can give you scripture for demons that look like frogs, Revelation 16, 13, and read Revelation 9. John describes a demon coming out of the bottomless pit, the most bizarre creature. Read about that. There's some really bizarre looking things in hell. Horrible. And I noticed, though, I was standing on a bed of maggots, Ugh. solid maggots crawling all over everything and everybody. But remember, Jesus said, where their worm dies not, and the fire is not quenched. And he used the word maggot. And I never knew this, but if a dead animal is being eaten by maggots, when they consume the flesh, the maggots die. And that's why Jesus said, where their worm dies not, because the flesh is never fully consumed in hell, so the maggot feeds sweetly on thee, as Job 24.20 says. Feeds sweetly on thee. Is that disgusting enough? See, Isaiah 14.11 says, where the maggot is spread under thee, and the worm will cover thee. Look it up in the original, it's the word maggot. The fear level that you experience in hell is so far beyond anything you can imagine. You can see the... All right, we are going to pray. That's Bill Weeze. I've had him on the channel multiple times. If you want to check out his testimony, you can type in Bill Weeze, Isaiah Saldivar, Bill Weeze testimony. But let us pray because I believe there's an urgency right now. I feel the fear of the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I want to make sure that I'm right with you. I want to repent of any sin, any compromise in my life. And I want to warn others of hell. I want to tell other people about hell. Jesus died on the cross so that we don't have to go. Some of you watching this are saying, this place sounds so terrible, so bad, and it absolutely is a thousand, ten thousand times worse than it even sounds. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, none of us have to go there. My plan is to never have to experience any of that. My plan is that I would never experience anything that Bill is talking about. I wanna serve you, Lord. Now, for some of you, you might serve God to escape the flames of hell. At least you're serving him. Praise the Lord. Hopefully you fall in love with him. But man, this is real. This is where the unbeliever goes. This is where the person that denies God, rejects God, fights God, and resists God. Acts 2.38, what must we do to be saved? Peter said, repent and believe. You got to believe on Jesus. You have to repent of your sin. I'm going to turn from my sin tonight. I'm going to repent of my sin. And I'm not going to put my faith in me. I'm going to put my faith in what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus died and rose again so that you can have eternal life. So this is a place you never have to go. God desires no one to go here. I know some of you say, well, why would God even send anybody? Why can't we? God desires no one to go to hell. God doesn't, Bible says, take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants every person to repent, the Bible says. So God wants every person to serve him, everyone to repent, and everyone to turn to him. Father, tonight I pray Lord, that not one person who watches this video would ever have to experience hell. I pray, Lord, that you would just release your presence over them. I pray, Lord, that they would turn to you. Guys, I am not going to lead you in a prayer. You need to turn to God on your own. You need to say, Lord, I want to serve you. 
Jesus, I want to follow you. I put my faith in the cross. I put my faith in the resurrection. I believe you died. I believe you rose. Come on, say it in your own words. God, I turn to you tonight. I, I want to serve you, God. I believe in you. I repent. Lord, I repent of my sin. I turn away from my wickedness. Lord, help me. I turn from my laziness, God. I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to tell other people about you. Lord, help me. I have not warned anyone of this place. I've not preached to anybody. God, help me in my laziness and in my unbelief. Holy Spirit, touch me, Lord. Touch me, God. There's 3,000 of you live right now. If one person repents, it's all worth it. If one person turns from their ways tonight, then this last hour and a half has been worth it. Turn your life to God. Maybe it's through fear. Some come from fear. Some come by fear, and that's okay. Some come just by the love of God, the grace of God. It doesn't matter. What matters is turn to the Lord. If Jesus preached on hell, warned of hell, we should be talking about this. Lord, help us tonight to turn from our sin and put our faith in you. I pray, Lord, from every per- I pray for every person that's repenting and turning to you, God. I pray you fill them with the Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, I pray you fill every person right now from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill them with your power. Fill them with your anointing, God. Anoint them today. Baptize them today. Wash them in the precious blood of Jesus. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. I pray the power of God, the fire of God, the anointing of God from the top of their head to the soles of their feet right now. Holy Spirit, have your way. Do what only you can do, God. Wash them in your blood, God. Empower them tonight, God. I pray they would turn to you. Give them the strength to turn to you. I hear the Lord saying you need to get rid of all that stuff holding you back. Drinking, partying, vaping, cigarettes, marijuana, relationships. I really hear the Lord saying get rid of it tonight. Throw it out. The worldly music, the worldly movies, the video game addiction. Come on, whatever it is, the Lord is saying throw it out tonight. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. This is no joke. This is no game. You need to turn to God. Get rid of all of it. Pour the alcohol down the drain. Pour it down the drain. Get rid of the marijuana. Throw it away. Get rid of all the idols. Why am I going to allow an idol to stop me from going to heaven? Why am I going to allow an idol to send me to hell? Why am I going to allow? You think one moment of pleasure from fornicating is going to matter during eternal torment? You're going to be tormented for eternity and say that fornication was worth it. No, the fornication isn't worth it. Fornicators will not inherit the kingdom. Liars, thieves, blasphemers will not inherit the kingdom. It's not worth it. Why are you yelling, Isaiah? Because it's that serious. If you are drowning, if you are about to get hit by a car, am I going to be quiet about it? I'm going to yell, there's a train coming. There's a car coming. Get out of the way. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. It's not worth it. It's not worth going to hell over. Lord, help us. Help us tonight, Lord. Let us fill our mind with you. Let us fill our hearts with you. Wash us, cleanse us by your blood. Lord, we want to do what you've called us to do. Let us not be complacent, God. Some of you need to get out of the way. There's a train coming. Eternity is real. It's too long to be wrong. 
put your faith in Jesus, repent of your sins, go get baptized, go get plugged into a local church, cry out for the Holy Spirit to fill you. Cry out. Tear your insides, not your outsides, not your garments. Tear your heart tonight. Lord, we need you. We can't go on without you. Wash us tonight, God. Cleanse us tonight, God. Holy Spirit, help. Help us, God. Lord, help us warn our friends and family. I pray you'd give us the fear of the Lord and you'd help us warn our friends and family of the reality of hell, of the reality of this place. Lord, help us do what only you can do. Help us, Lord, and do what only you can do. Help us, God. Wash us. Cleanse us. We repent tonight. When we don't have the words, God, give us the words. We don't know what to say or what to pray. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I pray many of you would take this warning serious. This is a warning to all of you. Uh, if you want to partner with us and help us keep spreading this word, you can go to IsaiahSaldivar.com slash partner. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.IsaiahSaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.